Father, I thank you so much for your word. Um, I thank you too for the ability, the freedom, and the joy it is to stand and worship together. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And I pray that as we consider your scriptures, that you would speak to us again in a fresh way. Open our ears and hearts to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, Romans 8 is, I, I mean, I, I do say this all the time, but it is got to be up there in terms of favorite passages. Um, and I think it contains clearly not everything that needs to be said in Scripture because we have a lot more of Scripture. But it contains so much about life in Christ, life in light of what Christ has done for us. If we go back to last week, the very first verse in Romans chapter 8, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so chapter 8 sort of sets up everything on that basis given that there's no condemnation, given that we're in Christ, given that the law of sin and death has been destroyed or we've, been, we've died to it, we are now alive to something new. And what is the life that we are alive to? Uh, last week, I looked a bit at the the truth that there is no condemnation, that we, because of the, the blood of Jesus and because of his intercession before the Father for us, we stand uh, free and forgiven before God. Awesome. Praise God. We've also been given a new identity. We've been, as Peter prayed and as we sung about our good father, we've been adopted as sons and daughters. We are intimately and deeply related to this God who has come to be with us. And we have not just been sort of cast out on our own. Uh, the father didn't say, okay, I forgive you, now go on and do your best. Uh, we have been remade in the image of Christ, and we have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The relationship that we have with God is not external of God is over there and I'm over here and sometimes I visit. It is close, it is intimate, it is uh, His life is now our life. Because we've been brought into Christ and because Christ by His Spirit is within us. And that is, I guess, the major theme for all the various many different things that this chapter says. The major theme of chapter 8 is life in the Spirit. And, you know, my own personal discipleship, I will just admit and freely say is not as consistent as it could be, and uh, my life in the Spirit is not some high floating on the cloud at all times. 
uh, charged and always doing the right thing sort of thing. But if I have had a message with you for the last several years, it's been uh, that the thing that I've kind of come back to consistently is contained within this passage, and that is that the Holy Spirit lives within us. That is that our life is Christ. Christ is our life. And we live in and with and through Him, and everything we do from coming to church through to going to work tomorrow morning, or getting the kids up, or getting up to a crying baby, uh, of grieving a loved one, everything that we do is within this context that the life of God through the Spirit is in us. The last verse of last week's passage began to talk about suffering. It said, um, we will be like him provided we share in a suffering like his. And this is where we pick up. Verse 18 today, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen is not us. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Another thing we grapple with regularly in the scriptures is that what has been done for us through Jesus has already begun and yet we are waiting for it in its completion and fullness. Paul here has affirmed our adoption as sons, but he also recognizes that we stand in the present waiting for a future hope. This little section that I've read is full of forward-facing language. We wait, we long, we anticipate. And what are we waiting for? The revealing of the sons and daughters of God. This is something Paul will pick up in, in Colossians 3 as well, where he says, when Christ appears, when Christ comes back, we will appear with him. There is a sense in which we don't see exactly ourselves and people don't see exactly what we are already, but on that day when Jesus is revealed, when he comes back and everyone sees, they will also see us. 
In this passage, Paul also talks about the glory that is to be revealed, our adoption as sons and daughters, and the redemption of our bodies. These are all things that we are looking forward to and anticipating. And Paul uses the image to describe what life in the present moment is like. He says that the creation is suffering the pangs of childbirth. It's something is being born in the world. And there's a suffering that accompanies that birth process. And we too experience that. We too groan inwardly because we know that we're not right now exactly what we will be. So the life that we have as Christians, if we consider our life and we look and we see suffering, we see pain and struggle and trial and and whatever thing we are facing, we have we've been given a perspective on that not to take away from the fact that pain and suffering and and all these things are bad or that they feel terrible at the time but we have a perspective that looks to the future and looks to see how the subjection of the world to suffering and our groaning within it is like we're giving birth But this is a tough place to be. And I know for sure that sometimes when I'm struggling, when I'm suffering, when I'm uh, not doing well, it's hard for my eyes to be fixed on that future hope. It's not always easy or immediate or automatic for me. But there's awesome news here too. Verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit, the Spirit of God helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. Isn't that an encouragement? I know a lot of people struggle with prayer. I don't know what to pray. Paul says, We do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes, that means prayer, within us. Sorry, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Again, the sense of the, the suffering, the pain that you might find yourself in and with the imagery of a, a woman in labor, there is a groaning, there is a deep Uh, unasked for, unbidden groaning that comes out of us and we can have confidence that actually the Spirit is doing that work within us. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, that's all of us who are connected to Christ 
according to the will of God. So although we are weak, and although we are waiting for the fullness of God's restoration, we have not been left alone. And not only have we been not left alone, we haven't been given just a positive mindset, or just a perspective shift. In our weakness, the very Spirit of God who dwells in us is interceding on our behalf according to the will of God. So God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the, the life of the triune God being that which we've been made part of, we've been welcomed in, God is praying to God for us. On our behalf, according to His own will, for our benefit. If we've been brought into Christ, if we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, God's work is at work in you right now, praying for you, even when you don't know what you should pray for yourself. Isn't that awesome news? That God is so active within us. What do you think the Spirit of God is praying and interceding according to the will of God on your behalf? I don't know. I don't know. We can guess at some things because we have the Scriptures. We know the will of God. So it's not really a guess. But what if the Spirit is praying and interceding something very specific for you during this time? Well, Paul doesn't tell us the exact content. and Indeed, the, the Spirit is doing this groaning too deep for words thing. But he does expound the reasons for which we can have assurance about this God. Verse 28, I'm sure this is something some of you have memorized and remember. And, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. This is one of those ones that you never want to only throw at someone to make it sort of as a band-aid. You don't, when someone says what they're going through, it can be too easy just to throw a verse at it and try and make it all okay. But don't let that worry take away from you the amazing truth that is here. We're not promised that life will be easy. We're not promised that everything is going to go fantastic at all points of our lives. But we are promised that God works together all things for our good. What is the good? What is our good? What is the the will, the prayer according to the will of God that the Spirit is praying. 
Verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The, the good towards which we can have confidence that God is always working. You know, we might not always know exactly like, I, God, I need you to provide me with this kind of house or this kind of job or I need a husband or I need a um, child. I need... There's so many good things that we, we may or may not receive in life. But right here is promised one that we can trust and have hope and faith in with absolute certainty. And that is that we are going to be, because God is working all things together for our good, that we are going to be conformed to the image of Christ. In one sense, that's the whole game. In one sense, that's God's whole purpose for you. The purpose and direction of our salvation. That having been restored to the image of God because Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh, that we're now restored to that image and being remade in His likeness. So the Christian life of life in the Spirit, of attending to the Spirit within you, groaning and interceding on your behalf, through whatever circumstance you're in, the Christian life is about us being made more and more into the image of Jesus. And the ultimate result of that is that those whom He predestined, He also called those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Glory is one of these words that properly and ultimately belongs to God. God alone is, is perfect in, in glory and beauty and Majesty and wonder. And yet through sending his son, who, who uh, we read elsewhere, Jesus crucified as the image and radiance of God's glory. Through sending the son, God has made us into that image and has destined us for glory. It's easy to read this and not let it hit us, but it should hit us. That God's purposes are to glorify us like Christ is now glorified. Paul then throws us a heap of rhetorical questions. What shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is 
is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? We could examine each of these questions, but rhetorically the answer is given in verse 37. No. In all these things, these things being tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here we are at the end of Romans chapter 8. It began, there is no condemnation in Christ. And, and bracketing that, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is also the end of my preaching ministry with you. And I want to take the opportunity to say thank you for letting me get up, calling me to get up and speak in this way. Um, I've been in this role for a couple of years, and but been around the church for a lot longer, and it's been a privilege and a joy. It's also been a struggle at times. And as you can imagine, the last couple of months have been a struggle too. Some great wrestling with the Lord. The challenge in ministry, the kind of, is to not let your ministry become your faith. And I think that's the challenge for all of us in terms of what other things we might find our find giving us identity and, and find meaning and purpose. And so as I've wrestled in the last couple of months, it's, I think, been a wrestle to remember that before any other consideration, I, just like each one of you, am a child of God. Before you're a parent, before you're a student or an engineer, you're a child of God. And so what has brought me comfort and what I hope brings you comfort to is the eternal perspective that we have as a gift to us through, through Jesus and that is, to, is uh, described to us in his word. And that eternal perspective 
the suffering that we experience now is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. And that God is not just sort of watching us and saying, it's okay, you're going to be okay. But God is present and working, groaning within us when we don't even know what to pray. And groaning within us to make us into the image of Jesus. And that, if we're in him, if we've given our life to him, is a never-ending thing. And finally, this awesome promise that nothing in heaven or on earth or above the earth or nothing can separate us from the love of God in him. Let's pray. Jesus, we are your church. We are your body. We are a house and you are our foundation. The life that we have, the eternal life you've given us is all of a gift from you. And you, Jesus, are everything to us. And so we honor and praise you. We worship you. You are worthy of all praise, all honor, all strength. And Jesus, you have poured yourself out in life on the cross and in your spirit so that each one of us knows your presence, can know your presence. Each one of us stands before the Lord because you are interceding for us and, and walks through whatever struggles we have because the Spirit is within us groaning and interceding for us. I thank you, God, for the awesome promises of your scriptures. And I praise you in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.